Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Rocco and today I'm joined by Robert Endicott. Hi Rocco, I'm fine thanks mate, how are you? I'm very well, thank you very much for joining me today um, about, well primarily about your new book Cock-A-Hoop which is a self-biography of uh, the great man Les Cocker of Don Records, Alf Ramsey as well uh, which was a fantastic um, so I'm looking forward to getting into that um, but I just wanted to start by to to yourself so i think um i am right in saying that you've been uh your first book was um, which actually interestingly to me anyway <laughs> same age when our first books were published but what were you what was your introduction were you have you always written things what what was your background just a normal uh, lad at school and then you know obsessed with football at high school and football and, and girls and fun, which probably worked against my academic record i'll be honest but i suppose in a way i've always written uh, i remember when i were a little kid uh, i used to read a lot thanks thanks to my mum and dad obviously i got got all brought brought very well in that respect because uh, i always had an interest in in books and uh, also i just remember as a bang one of my ambitions was just to write a book uh, so I remember once she's copying out a book, so it was probably on Robin Hood or something, and just to have the feeling I've written a book, you know, even though I, I could hardly walk at the time, you know, I was only that, that young, uh, and it's just gone on from there really. I was lucky uh, to be brought up well and to have uh, an interesting all all reading matter really, and uh, I got taught uh, how to read and write before I joined school by my mum which was, again, I think, uh, very beneficial for me. But also, I think it just helps entertain you as a you know, little sprog. And you just yeah. get on with it. So I think I'm pretty, pretty uh, lucky in that regard. And maybe uh, that's helped with the imagination or the creativity that uh, I've sort of utilised over the coming years. So then I went to school, obviously. English language was my favourite. And writing stories was probably my favourite aspect of that. 
carried on in high school. Uh, but obviously things change, you know, hormones come into action, so you leave things alone. And then I just uh, didn't write for a while. Uh, then went into the, the big wide world of uh, working for a living uh, after two years on the dole, fully enough. And uh, yeah, this was basically Thatcher's Britain at the time. It's not her fault I didn't get a job though for a while. It's just because uh, <laughs> I was uh, I was on the lookout for something that wasn't there. So I joined uh, a company uh, in Leeds, uh, part of the Case Catalogue Company. So it was near Twellen Road. I'm born and bred Beeston. And this was in Holbeck next to Peter Lorimer's pub, funnily enough, the commercial. And uh, yeah, I sort of started writing again, just short stories for for the hell of it, really, you know, whilst uh, playing football at a weekend, watching Leeds, going out with my mates, you know, in the town, in town, etc. And just living a normal life. But yeah, I carried on writing and then uh, moved companies for a while and worked for another company and got disillusions with it all really and again i kind of picked up the pen again and uh, joined a sort of writing group i think it was called uh, called the opening line and they liked what i wrote about which funnily enough was my years following leads and, and being on the dole and being a, a teenager just growing up and encountering and experiencing certain things for the first time in life you know and it came from there and uh, my first book was One Northern Soul, which is semi, semi-autobiographical. So there are stories about Leeds United and about me, but there's also stories that aren't me, but I've, I've sort of used as part of the character, uh, Steve Bottomley, it's called, uh, part of his uh, supposed life story. And some of them, uh, for instance, the uh, probably the first story I ever wrote that uh, got some attention was... Uh, about Leeds getting relegated in 82 uh, right. at West Bromwich Albion. Uh, there was a, uh, something of a riot going on. I went I went to that full enough. So it was first-hand experience and, uh, uh, yeah, sort of built from there. And then, you know, if you get if you get constructive uh, criticism or, or, or praise indeed, then it's great. And, I, you know, I, I didn't get anybody saying, that's crap, you can't write. You know, you think you're Nick Armby with his fever pitch, whatever. I got nothing like that. It was all... Yeah. Blimey, this is this is decent stuff. This and uh, I sort of carried on from there. But again, you know, life, working life or writing life, I think probably made a few wrong choices along the journey. And uh, so, the, uh, certain books have done well, certain others haven't done well. Uh, I mean, for instance, this is typical me. I mean, people will say it's typical Lee's actually. Uh, probably my best-selling uh, novel was Dirty Leads. Uh, published by Tonto Books, uh, a lovely fella up there, uh, Newcastle way, called Stu. And it went really well. You had a great relationship with him. The book sold well, getting good feedback, etc. But the company eventually went bust. And that's typical. I was like this for a while, but through no fault of his, and certainly not mine, uh, yeah, things went wrong. Uh, but, you know, Data Leads made a bit of a mark. And then uh, I followed that up with uh, Disrepute, Reavers England, which is about Don uh, in his time as England manager, because I had lots of stories to tell there. Thank, thanks mainly to uh, a gentleman called Dave Cocker. And Dave yeah. Cocker, obviously, is the eldest son of Les Cocker. And that's how Cocker Hoop came to be a few years later, obviously. And that's the latest book, um, which is really a biography of Les Cocker, but also it's involving a lot of interviews uh, with people who 
new lays and obviously know the, the truth and the stories etc because i didn't i didn't want to just write something that dave was happy with and i didn't want to write something about somebody i actually never met i probably did meet les cocker when i was a sprog and i got his autograph but that's it literally that's oh, yeah. it yeah. and so i didn't really know and i don't like to, i don't like writing about people if i don't if i don't know them or if i don't know enough about them and i think i would have felt a little bit of a fraud without uh, using people's experiences and knowledge of Les himself. So it was great. The, the things from Dave Cocker, obviously, are fantastic. But I've got some brilliant interviews as well. I was very lucky in that respect. And, uh, you know, I felt really privileged to be speaking to certain people, you know, like Johnny Giles, Anne Clark, um, Trevelyan, Kim Reavy, and uh, people like that. And, it, uh, and very importantly, even though he's not in it much, Clint Snowden as well, uh, who, worked, uh, who was a player at Donny when... Uh, Les unfortunately died. And so yeah. that's, that's sort of it. That's what how it built up. I mean, uh, I, I I think I prefer writing fiction, but uh, in recent times it's all been factual. So I've done the Kits book, the Leeds United collection with uh, Ben Hunt, as you know, and uh, also uh, the Centenary book in uh, 2019, uh, which is a huge photo book it's a coffee table book and it's about the size of a bloody coffee table i can tell you where's <laughs> it uh but brilliant I, I love doing that i love uh working with andrew valley and and R richard eric and his, his wife lisa uh just went, went really down went down really well the book itself but i was really honored to be part of it because it, it's something they did doing to mark the history of our club and uh and the centenary was a perfect opportunity and uh, I, re I really enjoyed that and i think it went down well it's got some beautiful photos in, and i sort of learned from that i, I do try, I, I don't want to sound like i'm patronizing anybody rocker but i try and learn from everything that i do so you know yeah. always look yeah. to be improving so i picked up plenty of tips i suppose from the from the centenary book on on how to do uh, another uh, coffee table book and that's how the Leeds United collection came about a history of the Leeds kit or I suppose primarily it's a Leeds shirt uh, and that came about because uh, I met a couple of like-minded people who wanted to get involved and, uh, and more importantly uh, Ben was one of them those probably the, the foremost collector of Leeds shirts uh, match one Leeds shirts uh, going and yeah thoroughly enjoyed that as well I think it I think the book that went really well and uh, i hope so because i'm working on a similar one now uh, the Leeds united memorabilia book with the same publishers as well so uh, that's going to be another photo book which i hope uh, does find favor with Leeds fans as well because uh, certainly enjoying doing it there's a lot of research involved and uh, you know finding a lot finding out a lot of new things as well about our club i forgot what your question was <laughs> It doesn't matter. Uh, it's always great to delve into the history of the club, um, finding new nuggets of gold in stories that you you thought you already knew inside and out. Um, but yeah, you've mainly dealt with novels uh, or stories based on reality in the past, uh, like Il Gigante of the the sort of uh, mock biography of John Charles's move to Juventus, um, and I believe this is your first biography. Um, so yeah, just interested to know how it came about. I mean, I guess, I mean, Leslie's story is uh, long overdue. So I guess it's just a, a story that you you felt needed telling. It's uh, it's one of those things where I you'll know yourself. Well, I hope you do, and I hope you know this is sort of a, a, an interesting perspective, certainly from from me to people who, who are interested in writing. You only write what you know, or, and you 
you only really want to write about something that you enjoy. And I, I do love a good biography, but more importantly, when it comes to us, Leeds United, I want to read a biography that is truthful as well as informative and educating and also entertaining. And we we know far too well that there's been a lot of lies and, and well, shall we say, uh, controversial things written about our club and certainly about certain individuals like Don Reeve and to a lesser extent but it, it did happen uh, Les Cocker as well and it and I just I just find that uh, one of the things that spurs me on is to make sure that people get a good uh, honest appraisal sort of thing so when I'm writing about somebody I make sure it's the truth and if there's anything that's dubious or maybe even offensive or certainly objectionable, then I make sure that uh, the people I'm writing about, or at least the people close to them, I, I can be honest with them and say, this is what I'm going to write. Is that okay with you? And if it's not okay with, with them, then they'll tell me why. And I'll say, right, uh, that's not going in the book then, because the last thing I want to do when I'm writing about somebody is upset anybody. Uh, either their memory or the, the people close to them. So for instance, uh, even though it is a novel, it's a fictionalisation of a biography, really, of John Charles called The Gigante. And that's, that was about John's move from Leeds to Juventus in 1957. Uh, I always wanted to tell that story anyway, but I wouldn't have told it if I hadn't uh, got in touch with his uh, first wife, Peggy, who was a lovely lady. And she was, I, it took some persuading uh, with Peggy and, and uh, her family as well. Uh, but it took some persuading because they needed to make sure that I wasn't going to just write any old claptrap about, you know, a, a man who uh, did so much for Leeds, but also for Juventus. But there was a little bit of uh, some drama behind the scenes, I suppose. Uh, but I didn't want to know about that. I didn't, I didn't want to dish the dirt on somebody I'd never met. Sorry, I had met, but I didn't know him. Yeah. Um, millions of people met John Charles and most of them loved him as well. But uh, I wanted to make sure, because Peggy's obviously survived, still alive, and John isn't, I just wanted to make sure with Peggy, I wanted to get the facts from her, stories from her, but I also wanted to make sure that she knew and could trust me to just write the truth. So even though it's a fictional uh, work, it's still the truth. And uh, yeah, I, I forged a really good relationship with Peggy and the family. And I think the book's... Uh, uh, done him justice as well, and I really, really enjoyed uh, writing it. More importantly, as well, I got I got some funding from uh, uh, the Arts Council, so I managed to get to Turin twice, which was fantastic. Oh, nice, loved it there. And uh, you know, I, I learned some good stuff about John, and it's a great story. I'm not saying that because I wrote it; it is a great story. I love writing yeah. it because it's just fascinating. Because it, football in Italy is a whole different world to football in England. And he was treated like a god over there. And to be fair, he, he deserved it because he did so much for Juventus. And uh, uh, yeah, I just loved it. So I just, with respect to writing about anybody, dead or alive, you know, I just want to make sure I do them justice. And especially when it comes to Leeds United, the people like Don Reamy, especially, and maybe Billy as well, and a few other players, they just had some crap written about them. Damn, damn right lies, damn right lies, to be honest with you, a lot of the time. Uh, and, you know, I just I don't like that. I don't like seeing anybody get getting rough justice really on 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 paper or even on screen. So uh, it's always been a motivation for me to make sure that I write truth and honesty, really. And uh, I hope that it entertains people. 
that's that's from a fictional point of view. With respect to the the factual books, well, you just uh, you tr just try and get your message across and hope that you entertain people at the same time. And I think uh, I'm in a I'm in a lucky rich uh, rich vein form in that respect. You know, the kits books gone down really well. We love doing it as well. We worked well as a team. So I said the, I said the other night uh, on the radio, actually, says any credit, I always try and share it. Any blame, I just take it on the chin. Because, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, man enough to, I'm man enough to take the stick uh, because as long as you can explain yourself, that's absolutely fine, I think, as long as you can justify it. I just don't, I, you know, so many people out there have written lies about uh, individuals. It's, it's just horrible. And, uh, yeah. you know, I just try to avoid being a bit of a prat in that respect. Well, you've given a fine representation of Les and, and the book really is fascinating. Um, I mean, I'm a bit obsessed at the moment with the Riviera and I think it's fair to say that Leeds were probably or arguably the best British side in the history of, of, of football. Um, I mean, obviously Don gets all the accolades, um, but considering that the vast majority of the squad had come through the youth system, how important do you think Les's role was in ensuring the players fulfilled the potential as they did? I, I don't feel it can be understated, can it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it certainly was. I think a lot of it's to do with his own upbringing. Uh, he uh, obviously he was born in the 20s and he, well, I, I was going to say he was forced to join the, the war effort in the, in the 40s, but I doubt forced isn't the right word. I think Les, like, like, many many other young men at the time and young young women uh will have been proud to fight for the country because it was a just cause you know to be nazis etc and i think he learned a lot in that respect and obviously the life for, for uh, any generation in those days was very different to nowadays uh you had to probably work harder for things you, you certainly got you won't you won't given as much you won't present it with things on just on a platter uh but a lot of that is obviously down to the consequences of the second world war so life for kids and, and young men and women was uh, was difficult so yet you, you learn you learn quickly to be uh, resilient and take the uh, knocks and you didn't have many extravagances i suppose you can call it you know you there weren't a lot of uh, you know food was rationed etc your upbringing was different culture and society was different there was less entertainment so you made your own entertainment and you but nevertheless uh, kids then uh, will have had dreams just like kids now have dreams. They're very different dreams nowadays, ambitions, etc. But nevertheless, uh, it, they still exist and they always will exist. And I think Les decided, probably thanks to his experience with the army, uh, that he was going to uh, uh, make it as a footballer. He could have been a cricket, cricketer, maybe a golfer as well. Uh, but he, he chose football, but not only to play it, I think he decided at an early age in his career that he was going to uh, move on to coaching when his playing career had finished and he did exactly that and that, that a lot of credit for that is down to uh, the FA Football Association in England who set up Lil, Lil Shaw etc and uh, the, the current at the time England manager was a guy called Walter Winterbottom who, who had played a little bit of football but nevertheless he didn't really know what he was doing. I think that's fair to say. He wasn't exactly an experienced pro. He wasn't 
uh, full of knowledge, etc. But what he was, he was very well organised. So the England manager then wasn't the manager at all. He just basically was the secretary almost. So he he, and he wasn't involved with coaching. He, was, he wasn't even involved in selecting the team. The FA had a selection committee for years. So Walter Winterbottom was just the name, really. But what he did do, he, he set up all the coaching courses, etc. He, he initiated them all. And uh, he introduced the uh, coaching badges, which uh, Les was one with one early recipient of hard work, obviously. I think it's three or four years for the courses, but Les was in a stable of uh, fantastic names at the time. You know, you look at Paisley Shankly, uh, Bill, uh, Bill Nicholson, sorry, uh, Busby, etc., etc. Lots and lots of names at that time. All like a new wave of uh, British footballers and more importantly, British coaches, and he uh, excelled at that. He also learned a little bit of, uh, it was called, we call it physiotherapy now, I suppose, but it, the actual official name was uh, Treatment of Injuries Course, which sounds like pretty trivial, but obviously it was very important, really, if you think about it, because coaches were often regarded just as bucket and sponge men at the time, so you'd see a player get injured. Uh, not rolling around with all the theatricals, he was injured. And if a player was injured, then the physio would run on, or the trainer, as they call him. But hardly ever called him coach. But in fact, physio was also a trainer, was also a coach. But uh, for, for some reason, they were not really regarded that highly as uh, professionals in the game. It was just like uh, it's bloke with a bucket and sponge just treating injuries. But it was a lot, lot more than that. And uh, I think when uh, Don Reeby joined Leeds around 57, I think it was, as a player, uh, and then he, he was offered the job as player manager initially in 1961. And then, obviously, he packed in playing because his, his days were numbered anyway in that respect. But he was what he was... What he went on to achieve at Leeds United, we all know, is absolutely fantastic and miraculous, really. But I tell you what, it was, it was fortunate as well and that's not no uh, disrespect to him at all, but he was fortunate that there were certain great men at the club already. What Don did, though, was he obviously set everything in motion to arrange it all, to rearrange it and rebuild the club uh, with the crucial help of uh, the soon-to-be chairman, Harry Reynolds. And on the back staff, a backroom staff, uh, already before Reeve took over as manager, uh, Sid Owen, who was very important, Les, of course, uh, Bob English, Maurice Lindley, uh, Cyril Partridge. And it just all, everything just moulded into something fantastic. It was almost magical. Uh, but you've got to give credit to Don Reeve for doing that, for coordinating everything. And very importantly as well at the time, uh, Leeds, Leeds were a bit of a rubbish club at the time because uh, things had gone wrong since John Charles had left. Uh, but they did have a good scouting system. Uh, in operation uh, across Britain, certainly in Scotland and Wales, and took uh, took great advantage of that. And uh, that's how, for instance, we got Peter Lorimer and Eddie Gray down. But it, yeah, Le Leeds built and built, and uh, Les Cocker learned so much in the mm -hmm. army. I think we're talking camaraderie, loyalty, teamwork. And that's the most important thing I'd say on and off the pitch teamwork and that just was proven time and time again under Reeves Leeds. It's an amazing story, uh, an amazing man as well. Uh, he was, uh, I think, 
Yeah, he, he was often called a uh, lieutenant to Riri and to uh, to Alf Ramsey as well. And that's very, very true. He was just loyal. He knew the system. He, he knew what to do. He, he knew that for a teamwork effort, team effort to work, then you had to be loyal and you had to be disciplined and professional and you had to just be committed and dedicated. And that's what you got. That's what Don Reeve got. That's what Ramsey got. And that's very, very crucial to how successful Leeds were and how, how successful uh, England were in 1966, all down to hard work, commitment, dedication, loyalty, you name it, all the positives. And Les had them all because he was just a very underappreciated, I would say, by the general media. Uh, they they would all just say, I was Ramsey, and it was Reeve, and, and, and the media didn't like either man, which is a disgrace in itself, looking at what they achieved. And there's other men like that. You, you, you can't just say we, we only had Reeve and Ramsey in the uh, English game. There were some great managers at the time, and I think, uh, unfortunately, the media... Uh, just like to pick on Leeds and Don Reeves particularly uh, for no really good reason, to be honest. But And I think in later years, uh, Les, Les suffered a little bit. His mental health suffered because of the stigma that uh, people like to aim at uh, Don Reeves when he's Leeds manager and then definitely when he was England manager because it didn't go well for, for either. Uh, you know, after It didn't go well for Leeds, but it didn't go well for England either because mm. uh, I think Don just took too much on. And couldn't do, we couldn't really weave his uh, magic that he'd done at Leeds because it was a completely different surroundings. But unfortunately, he had the press against him as well. And I think uh, in later years, Les suffered as well from that. Uh, all excuse my French, but all bullshit allegations. And uh, I think uh, they had so much nastiness written about Don Reeve, and 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 it did sort of pass on to. Les Cocker and, and certain players as well. And uh, I just, again, I'm rambling on here, mate, but the thing is, I just like to get a true picture uh, portrayed rather than just go along with the old cliches and, and the old uh, hackneyed reports and allegations, mm-hmm. which most of them had very little, if any, uh, ground uh, to, to be made about them. But nevertheless, uh, you know, people take certain things as gospel complete crap and uh, I think uh, I just I know we get called date leads and some people are proud of that I am obviously I titled one of my books date leads but it's not it wasn't really uh, a boast or anything I know when I spoke to uh, lots of the players none of them appreciated being called date leads and can you blame them fantastic players and you get called date leads and now you got it by kicking or by cheating absolute crap and unfortunately, uh, one of one of the greatest uh, coaches and trainers we had was Les Cocker. And for all the fantastic work he did for the Leeds and England, and then you, you hear Dirty Leeds, and, and it was all, you know, all, almost similar to what Clough said, you, you won by cheating. Because it, it makes me angry even now. So you imagine how yeah. it makes people like Dave Cocker feel. So that, that book needed writing. Cocker, who need, needed writing, I was lucky enough to be in a position to be able to write it, but I obviously checked with Dave first. I'd met Dave maybe 20 years ago, uh, great guy, uh, lots and lots of stories. And me, me and my circle of mates uh, in the Peacock, usually Peacock pub, usually would say, Dave, you've got to write this, you've got to write this. And I think uh, it's, uh, no one no one want to read it. Anyway, we finally convinced him. 
and I finally got him. I think I, I think they finally trusted me. The whole family trusted me to just uh, do a good job, and uh, you know I'm proud of it. And more importantly, as I said, I said, I said years ago, mate. It feels like years because I'm rambling, aren't I? But um, the, the interviews they they make it for me because uh, I just wanted to speak to people who knew him. So you know, when you when you're talking to George Cohen and Johnny Charles and Alan Clark, it's just beautiful. You know, it's, uh, it makes it all worthwhile. So I I hope the book does really well. I hope people think it's a good book because we certainly tried our hardest to make it a, a great book. Uh, but I tell you what, whatever you think of it, it's an honest book, and that's very important to me. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I interviewed players for one of my books, and it, it really does spur you on. Um, you know, motivates you to do justice to to their contributions. Although mine were League One players, and <laughs> you're interviewing gods of the club. Um, but speaking of gods, um, at the end of the book's introduction, there's a line in which you thank Marcelo Bielsa for bringing pride back to the club, which I thought was a lovely touch and. Honestly, it almost reduced me to tears. I, I was well enough reading it, just just a single sentence. Um, but also throughout the book, it was amazing to see so many similarities between Don Reavy and, and Bielsa um, in you know, things like the meticulousness of them both and, and the intense training methods and the focus on fitness and you know, daily weigh-ins even. It's just, just remarkable. So were you surprised to to see so many uh, similarities between the two? Yeah, it's a, it, it really is funny, isn't it? I I I actually wrote to Bielsa in in the early days because I did see it. I saw, but I also saw it. I've forgotten the guy's name, but in the Gigante, uh, John Charles joins Juventus, and they've got a new manager as well, uh, and. It was weird, and there were similarities there. So I sent a copy of the book to to Marcelo. I'm calling him Marcelo, like I know him. I don't. Uh, we never met, but he, he wrote back because uh, I, I just said in the letter something uh, you know, very positive, and I said thank you uh, for joining our club. I can see similarities between you and, and Don Reby, and that went very well, as you well know. And also the name of the coach at Juventus, and that because that. Everything seemed to be against Juventus at the time as well. They spent a, a, a massive amount of money on players, not just John Charles. So it, a lot of people were against them, and a lot of people were dubious to do anything in football. But they did. They turned it around, and that was thanks not just to the players, but also to the, this uh, coach who was quite uh, radical and revolutionary almost. And obviously Marcelo Bielsa was that because he not only he had his own individual ways and methods. An influence, but also he had a, a good backroom staff with him. Obviously, he brought them with him, and uh, yeah, the similarities uh, quite astounding, really, aren't they? But also, yeah, I could see it, and I don't think it was the only one. Can't have been the only one. And he just turned the club around, rejuvenated, and uh, brought us back to life almost, and, and certainly made us a name again. And 
even better though the, the brand of football is fantastic and again uh, i wasn't that surprised by that because if do you remember well you can you remember christensen uh, when he first started the team took to the field and they played some great football but it was the attitude and and there were movement there was movement all over and everyone was grafting and obviously it didn't go quite right for thomas christensen but Nevertheless, I thought there's a seed being planted there. I think uh, the owners have, even though it wasn't Radizani at the time, I think the owners have probably taken note and seen something that could happen here. But then they, they actually uh, pulled out all the stops and got the man who they got Bielsa in. And uh, yeah, wasn't a great surprise. But nevertheless, it was a shame that someone had to come in to, to rebuild the club because people had cocked it up so badly before. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Chilino, et cetera. But not just Chilino, GFH, Bates, uh, Risdale yeah. obviously started it all, unfortunately. Uh, I'm not casting blame or aspersions. I'm just saying I think that's a matter of fact. And I think uh, it's just a shame that somebody had to come back in and rebuild the club. You know, what a fantastic club we had. But that was this this century. We didn't have a fantastic club until uh, basically Bielsa came. So I guess you were heartbroken at Bielsa leaving, but how are you f- feeling about things now? Um, Leeds have just lost to Palace and we've got Arsenal coming up on Sunday. Um, yeah, it, it, how's your feelings on the goings-on at the club in general? Uh, yeah, well, it, what's done is done, isn't it? Uh, we, we will argue forever amongst us Leeds fans whether we would have gone down or stayed up with Bielsa still in charge. He isn't here anymore. Uh, by hook or by crook, we survived last season. I think, obviously, Jesse Marsh is doing it his own way. Uh, he needs to prove himself more, which is absolutely understandable. Uh, I think he's made some good signings. And I, I, I like the bloke personally, but nevertheless, it's what matters, uh, what happens on the, the pitch that matters. And we haven't got there yet, have we? We're not stable yet. We certainly um, you know, we could well be involved in a relegation battle. I'm hopeful we won't be. I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, things are going to go our way soon. Uh, the defeat at Palace wasn't good. Obviously, the defeat at Brentford was embarrassing, but it wasn't a 5-2, was it, really? Yeah. I mean, we were in that game, but they scored with every chance. Uh, poor defending cost us in that game, and certainly poor defending cost us against Palace. But the first half, I thought we played very well indeed, and I thought, you know, we're OK here. We're going to at least get a draw. But we blew it. I, I can't explain that. But I don't need to explain it, do I? As long as the players can explain it. If they can't explain it and if they can't improve on it, then we've got problems. But I'm hopeful that, you know, they'll get it right. I don't I don't know. It was such a stark uh, difference between the first, time, the first half performance against Palace and the second half. Uh, but I'm not paid to uh, sort these things out, and they are. And I think I think we've got good men in charge, so I hope so. Uh, I don't want any more instability or disruption at the club. You know, we need to get settled again. Uh, yeah, very, very sad to see uh, Bielsa go. Loved the man, like most Leeds fans did, obviously. And uh, I loved what he'd done and how he'd uh, reinvigorated the team and rebuilt the club virtually from square one. And, yeah, you credit where it's due. Uh, Andre Radizani deserves credit for doing that, for bringing him in. Uh, let's see, can we go to another level? Can we can we remain stable? Can we stay in the Premier League? And then can we just build and build and build? Because there's plenty of teams who are not as good as us, but we need to be consistent and we need to prove that consistently. Here's hoping, mate. <laughs> 
Yeah, indeed. Well, the most exciting thing on the horizon for Leeds is uh, your new project. No, <laughs> in the yeah, snow. Well, thank you. no footsteps in the snow. Sounds very exciting. Would you like to tell us some more about that? Thank you. Yeah. Uh, well, the great thing about uh, working in in literature, etc. Also, as well, I, I probably should have said earlier. Uh, I. I took re- uh, voluntary redundancy from uh, my work 20-odd years ago. I think it was 20 years ago, sorry. I went full-time into, into writing. And obviously, uh, I wanted to write different things, not just about Leeds. So I did a, a book, for instance, on uh, my favourite band, The Stranglers. But generally, uh, things I've been working on overlap. It's almost like a Venn diagram. Uh, so different sub- different topics, different genres even, different media all seem to overlap at times so i've done the book uh recently john uh, the less cocker book obviously i've done the kids book but an ambition of mine uh since i left work i went to uh, college to uh, study a master's in screenwriting in other words i wanted to write films and if you ever look at any film that's been produced in england specifically yorkshire uh, since 2004 if you have a look at the credits you'll see that i'm not on any of them because i've never had anything <laughs> made but the ambition's always been there and, and obviously leading that is a main ambition so i uh i pitched which is a movie term folks i pitched the idea to uh to eddie and a couple of guys at lutv who basically got me in to speak with eddie uh i asked them first first of all i said do you think it's a good idea do you think uh, eddie be interested uh, can you get me a, a chat with Eddie? Uh, this is over three years ago. And they said, yeah, we could certainly try. No, no harm in trying. I don't know if you've been for, into the idea or not. So I sat down with Eddie. I told him exactly what I thought was a, a great venture, a great idea, uh, which was basically to make a, a documentary film on the, Eddie's life, life and times of Leeds United, really, because next year, it's 60 years, his association with Leeds. He had a few years off in the 80s. Uh, not by his own choice, but nevertheless, he, he wasn't here. But nevertheless, his family was. There's always been a family connection. And Leeds United, under Don Reevy, was built on family. Uh, obviously, other things involved as well. But one of the main uh, ingredients for the success of Leeds United was building around family atmosphere, camaraderie, loyalty to each other, etc., etc. side before self all a team effort so it's family uh i my dad could have told you that my dad was ground on the ground staff at ellen road for approaching 30 years and his favorite all-time boss and all-time man was don Reevy. uh so he's great so uh he he knew and i just thought eddie gray is a great example of family and the legacy etc so that i i pitched the idea to eddie i just sat down and said look eddie whether you like it or not, you are considered by most people as Mr. Leeds United. Not only that, uh, it's about time we we spread a little bit of positivity about the club, and you know, let's get uh, let's get a film made. I, I want to be honest about it. I, I will be asking you questions that may not be comfortable, but nevertheless, we will need answering. But I just want to cover your life story. But not only that, not only yours, but. Uh, Linda, your wife, and obviously the family as well, and, and that includes Frank Gray's brother and all the and the people uh, relations since then that are still connected with the club, greatly connected with the club. 
And I said, Eddie, do you fancy doing it? I said, well, let me think about it. So I thought, well, I've done my best. He's not going to go for it because he's a, such a modest bloke. And he probably didn't, I thought he probably didn't want any fuss and probably thought maybe uh, when I mentioned that there might be some controversial aspects to it as well. Maybe I thought, maybe he, he was thinking, no, I don't fancy that. You know, I've got enough on my plate as it is. Anyway, he came back to me and he said, yeah, I fancy the idea. But then obviously things like COVID happened uh, and all sorts of consequences then. And very importantly as well, significantly, we've lost a lot of great Leeds United people. Eddie lost his mum in 2020 as well, uh, which, you know, uh, it's just one of those things that, you know, can really, really knock you for six. And I think, uh, I think I, I almost gave up really on hoping that uh, we could get the film done. But I kept in touch with uh, Damien Dexter, who's my mate and basically the uh, director and photographer, cameraman, etc., for the film. Uh, I kept saying, look, it's still an ambition. I'm not going to let it go until Eddie says, no, I'm not doing it or whatever. But Eddie's been keen. And I think we've, we've convinced him that we are in it for the right reasons. And that's just to make a film on Eddie Gray, but also on Eddie Gray's family on Leeds United, Leeds United family and the legacy, the Grey legacy as well. We're just making an honest film that we want to make uh, as a piece of visual art almost, make it a documentary that people are proud of involving Leeds fans as well. Not just made by Leeds fans, not just written by Leeds fans, but also involving Leeds fans as well. It's not just for the fans, obviously we want a wide audience as possible, but nevertheless, you know, we've got to start somewhere and Leeds United is a fantastic support of our fan base and uh, thousands of us. And yet it's going to be a crowdfunding project. It is a crowdfunding project, but also there are opportunities as well for people to invest, you know, probably higher figures, all with the uh, the view of, we hope, making a profit from the film so we then, then pay back those investors that investment. It's all honest. It's all out there. It's all transparent. Uh, more importantly, Eddie's very keen on it because he just knows what we're like. And uh, it's, I think, um, I hope people listening to this podcast will will agree. He's a, he's a great man and we're, we're going to make a great film for, about him. Not going to say for him, but it's involving him as well. Uh, we've got some great surprises involved as well and uh, some lovely interviews and archive footage and audio, et cetera, et cetera. It's just going to be brilliant. And obviously it all boils down to money, but I'm confident we'll get the money because, you know, films have to be met, have to be paid for. But I'm confident we'll get it and I'm confident people involved will be proud of it and will be rewarded as well. Uh, also part of the crowdfunding, uh, because crowdfunding is great for not just for obviously raising funds, but also because it involves people. And because I, I want this to be a team effort, a community effort, a communal effort. And Lee's fans are fantastic for that. We've proven that time and time again. Uh, I think I probably learned a lot uh, in, I think it was 2009 when we when we got the Don Reavy statue uh, built. Uh, that was all done by crowdfunding. That was done by team effort, the fans getting involved with lots of events and, and fundraisers going on. And it, it's the fan statue. That's not by uh, one particular man or the, the sculptor. That's all. That's just by Leeds fans. Without Leeds fans, we wouldn't have been uh, able to get it there. So, whether you like it or not, uh, the, the Reavy statue, where it's positioned, nevertheless, we paid for that, and that was done through team effort. 
sheer graft involving as well uh farmer Reevy boys you know paul reaney eddie etc peter and and you know the, the guys when they were alive obviously and, and they are the important significant figures we've lost over the uh, last few years which uh has obviously deeply upset all of us but eddie could be probably one of the uh, the, the most to suffer in that respect because I mean, it was close friends with the majority of them uh, so it, it could have been could have been tricky I suppose whether Eddie wanted to continue but I think he's I think without uh, sounding patronising again I think I've got it I've got the point across and, and myself Damien and Gareth I've got the point across we, all, we are all agreed that we just want to do this for Leeds United and for the fans and for Eddie not for us it's not about making money. We, if we get paid anything, that'd be great. But it's not about us getting paid and making money. It's about just getting a work of art out there that people can look back on in years to come and say that's a fantastic documentary on Eddie Gray, Leeds United, Eddie Gray's family, and the Leeds United legacy that the Grays have uh, obviously uh, given our club. And it long may it continue. It's still happening now, isn't it? With uh, yeah. the young grey people at, at Ellen Road and Thorpe Arch, who are going to make uh, a great impact, I think, and make a great impression. And we just want to make a great film impression. It, it really is as simple as that. Maybe in 20 years' time, I'll do a sequel with Archie Gray. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I've uh, I, I was talk, talk, talking earlier to somebody about the film, and uh, I said when I when I was studying that screenwriting course, my studies involved watching films. Can you imagine how difficult that wasn't? It's uh, you know, I just love watching films, but I still love watching films and documentaries, especially I love sports documentaries. So I've been picking up tips left, right, and centre for ages. There's some great films out there, and there's some great films uh, waiting to be made. And uh, you know, wherever a film. Uh, it's great, you know, you can take uh, influence from it and inspiration from it, but also part of the learning, I think, the learning cycle is to make sure that you learn from people's mistakes or where things could be a little bit stronger. And it just happens like a team game, in like a match of football. You can see where a player's not done as well as he could have done. You can also see that in films, that films, that writing's not as good as it could have been, etc., etc. It's just all that part of learning and taking influence and inspiration from people. And, and uh, thankfully, I've got uh, a lot of people thinking the same way for this Eddie Gray. Uh, film which is called Eddie Gray No Footprints in the Snow and probably everybody knows where that, how, how that, that saying came about they might not know who said it originally so uh, I'll keep that to myself for a while <laughs> Brilliant, well I'm sure it's going to be an absolute classic so best of luck, I, I really can't wait for it and I'm sure I'm sure it will get off the ground and it's going to it's going to be absolutely superb and yeah really pleased that you're, that you're pushing through with this project it's uh, yeah, it, it's going to be magnificent. Yeah, no, Robert, thank you. Brilliant having you. I do have one more question um, that I've, I've not asked yet. Um, so does Dave still have the teapot? He does, as far as I know. Uh, you know, I've not seen it. It's got a lot of stuff. Yeah, you've caught me there. I don't know. It's in the book, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah teapot. That blooming teapot's done more travelling than I have. And, uh, I've seen, yeah, I've seen pictures of it in other books as well. It's yeah, yeah. in it. Blessing. Yeah, good. Well, <laughs> Robert, thank you very much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you, as it was to read Cocker Hoop. I do feel it's an era that 
even the Leeds fans underappreciate it. Many, you know, many Leeds fans that, that didn't live through it. Um, and Les was an absolute hero, and and your book has has done him so proud. Um, congratulations! It, it really is great, and I, I do hope that everybody listening buys one copy for themselves and and also one for Christmas as well for for a loved one or two. Um, yeah, thank you for coming on. Anytime, Rocco. Thank you, mate. And thank you for all your efforts as well. M- much appreciated. And thanks for the podcast. Thanks for the invitation. And thanks for the chance, you know, just to talk to people. And uh, I hope people have enjoyed it and haven't got too bored with my droning on voice. But, you know, I've not even had a drink yet either. <laughs> <laughs> thanks very much, mate. Really appreciate it. No, thank you. Podcast Network.